0: Welcome back to Ideas Without Borders for a very exciting episode today uh, with a very special guest we have here on campus. My name is Simon. I'm the current co-president of the University of Waterloo chapter.
1: And we're going to start with a small land acknowledgement. The University of Waterloo's Engineers Without Borders student chapter acknowledges that we are not on any traditional territory of the neutral Anishinaabe, and Haudenosaunee people. The University of Waterloo is situated on the Haldeman Tract. The land promises to the six nations that include six miles on each side of the Grand River. We would also like to acknowledge that none of the
2: podcasters here today are of Indigenous descent.
0: Awesome. Can everybody take a moment to introduce themselves?
2: Hi, Um, thank you guys so much for having me, in Dallas, thank you for the land acknowledgement. My name's Iman, I am in 4B currently, Systems Design Engineering, as well as the former president of Engineers Without Borders. So very, very, very excited and honored to be here.
3: I'm Bailey, I'm a first year Knowledge Integration student.
2: I'm Dallas Damude,
1: and I'm in Geological Engineering.
0: Awesome. So, the reason you're here today, Iman, is essentially to talk a little bit more of your current fourth-year design project, Pulse Home. Would you like to give us a brief introduction?
2: Yeah, Um, so Pulse Home is a panelized construction technology that uh, my team and I are working on in partnership with Habitat for Humanity, Canadian Mortgage, Mortgage and Housing Corporation, as well as three Atlantic Canadian Indigenous communities. And um, we started working on this roughly um, eight, nine months ago. Um, and it's something that we've been getting more and more involved in. And the three of us have actually taken it on as a um, social venture that we'll be working on post-graduation. So it's no longer just a Capstone project. Um, and basically, the idea is to solve the Or work on the housing crisis in these Atlantic Canadian Indigenous communities as well as um, empowerment and employment of local community members and youth on these reserves.
0: That sounds really cool and surely there are lots of layers to this uh, whole endeavor that you're working towards. So let's bounce around with some questions to learn more about the project.
3: So what made you choose Atlantic Canada? opposed to anywhere else?
2: Atlantic Canada is something that was brought up as a need from our partner Habitat for Humanity. Um, The three Atlantic Canadian Indigenous communities reached out to Habitat and expressed a strong need for um, homes for youth. So we were working in close closely with Habitat for Humanity, and as soon as they mentioned that there's three communities that are interested, we're like, those are the communities we want to work with. Um, We didn't, I think one thing that we were all very, very, very cognizant of going into this project is we're not going to create a solution for anyone. We're going to work with these communities to create a solution with them. So it's the model, the entire model of like for us, by us. Um, rather than three non-Indigenous students walking into a community and being like, here, I think this might work. So I think as soon as they said that they had a need for um, homes for youth, we were like, we'd be happy to work with you. And yes, Atlantic Canada is far. Um, It definitely would have been easier to work with like a community in Ontario, but since the need came from there, we decided it made more sense
0: really interesting first starting point that has definitely the potential to spread across the country to other indigenous communities across Canada.
1: Um, I would like to know your inspiration for the capstone project from the beginning. How did it target the
2: indigenous housing crisis? That's a really good question. Um, so Paula and I, all Paula's one of the other team members, um, were co-presidents together for Engineers Without Borders. Um, for two years or one entire 16 month long term yeah. because of the Waterloo co-op stream that we have and from our time being as presidents, um, we knew that we wanted to work we wanted to work on something for our Capstone project that was going to make have a very large social impact. Okay. Um, I think there we both expressed a strong need and desire to do something, Um, with our capstone that was gonna make a difference in not just um, our lives, but more so in the lives of people around us. Um, And we also had interest in housing. Um, We were like housing would be something potentially that we could work on. Um, When I actually came into engineering in Waterloo, I wanted to, my goal was to design um, some sort of technology that would enable current homes to be retrofitted to be net zero and so as soon as we were like okay housing indigenous maybe we should put the two together but nothing had actually come together until we met Sarah who is in environmental engineering our third team member Sarah was working as um, with Habitat for Humanity and on a different separate project for um, Warrior Home which is a design team on campus and She, um, Habitat for Humanity had uh, expressed a strong interest in indigenous housing. Um, As soon as they brought it up, Sarah was like, "We're doing this for Warrior Home, but it'd also be interesting to work on it for Capstone." So Sarah's the one who initially put the everything together and expressed um, her interest to Paula and I, and we were like, "Definitely, we'll work on this." Um, And I think. But it's interesting that you're asking the question because it was one thing to like pick the idea and have partners and have communities um, and start working on it. But it wasn't until I think this winter break, I w- attended this conference and um, there was a British journalist there named Mehdi Hassan who said, if you only care about the human rights of those you identify with, but not the human rights of those you who you don't identify with, then let's be clear, you don't really identify with human rights. I think when this quote, um, when I heard this quote, this is when I knew that this project is what I really want to continue working on. Um, Because it was challenging to be like working on something, you know, for Indigenous issues where we can't identify and we can't fully relate with them. Um, So I think there was like a struggle in the back of all of our heads, like, is this the right... We wanted to make social impact, but are we the right people to do it? Should we even be tackling these issues? Like, is it appropriate? Um, but I think, like, as soon as I heard this quote, and as soon as we actually visited the communities um, in the in November of 2018 and talked to them, we knew that this is something we wanted to actually work on, and that's what. So it's been like a continuous journey of inspiration. Definitely, I can see how it keeps. Building. How is the how's the community reaction to your proposal? Um, they reacted very positively. So the first time that we met with the communities um, was in November of 2018 in Halifax. We have a stakeholder meeting. Um, so the three of us flew in and Habitat for Humanity was there, Canadian Mortgage Housing Corporation was there, as well as a representative from all three of the communities and when we went there we the three of us we were so hesitant and so careful and so scared um to be meeting with them and presenting our ideas um and in in, a, in hopes that they don't just think we're just like three students walking in and being like oh like we think this will work um so we were very 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 just wanting to let them know what our passions were and what we were hoping to do but not at all expressing like a solution because we really wanted to make sure that we were working with them and I think that from the get-go they could see that we weren't they could see our passionate energy and also the fact that um, we were wanting to work with them and we weren't trying to give them a solution that really had them respond to us in like a positive manner. Um, They loved our they loved our passionate energy and they loved that we were um get we were wanting to keep them fully involved with this project and it's very interesting because they they were you know being like thankful for having us work with them or and in our heads we were like why are they thanking us we should be thanking them they're letting us work with them um like we're the ones who are so honored to be like sitting at that table with these three communities um who are willing to work with just three university students um, and have us design for them, have us, you know, go through this entire process and develop a social venture for them. So I would say overall, like their response was very positive.
0: That's really cool. So let's take a little bit of time now to actually look at some of the different layers behind the context of the Canadian Indigenous housing crisis. One of the things you mentioned, with regards to indigenous housing, is unemployment, and how that factors in to the needs of First Nations communities with respect to housing. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that?
2: Yeah, definitely. So, um, lack of skills and lack of education um, are some of the two of the reasons that employment levels are very low in a lot of indigenous communities. And in addition to that, um, a lot of youth or community members don't have access to proper shelter, don't have access to proper housing. Um, And one can only imagine how hard it is to find jobs when when you don't have skills or when you haven't had your first job yet. Um, How hard it is to, you know, like pass your resume out without job experience, try to get your first job. But in addition to that, um, if you don't even have a proper home that you're living in, um, your income source isn't stable. Like your parents don't have enough income to be able to um, provide you with the resources you might require to gain employment. And I think that's where like the housing part fits in and the sad reality is that um, there's just continuous cycle of um, poverty that I guess stems from a lot of these other issues or I guess the other issues stem from them you could say and I think that's one of the main things that we identified when we visited the communities um, during our rigorous needs assessment phase of the project is that it's not just like housing on its own, that's a problem. It's not that. It's not just that there is no housing. It's um, lack of funding for housing, lack of employment. Um, so even when people are given how homes, they don't have an income source, a sustainable or stable income source to be able to uh, maintain those homes or pay their rent. So a lot of those things are very, very, very very correlated and they do also vary community to community. Um, some communities, for example, have a higher ratio of um, band-owned homes versus um, rent models, or other communities where income sources are higher, communities that are perhaps near city centers where people do have access to more jobs, um, will have higher rent rental homes, rental units, and lower band-owned homes. Um, But overall, a lot of these communities are trying to move away from um, band owned, government owned homes and go more towards a rent to own model. But in order to do that, you need you need a stable source of income. Um, So that's in my I guess like that's the most in the most brief manner I can describe how the two are so interconnected and correlated, um, especially especially when it comes to youth in the communities. Um, youth wanting to gain autonomy and move out and gain independence are unable to do so because there's no, there's no small homes available on the reserves. What little homes that are available on reserves are safe for larger families? Um, so youth wanting to hope move out or, or, and start their own lives are forced out of the communities. But when they're forced out of the communities, now they're unemployed and they don't have a home. Um so one thing that Pulse Home is really targeting is that providing youth with homes to empower them to have their own lives, to start their own lives and to gain employment. Um, additionally, we also have the entire employment side of things, um, which I'll get into in a bit, but I'll let you ask the next question.
0: Cool. I actually just want to build off of what you said. So when you talked about youth gaining autonomy as they grow older. Um, what we can probably anticipate is the start of a new family and an increase in the number of people in that family, right? So is there an aspect of your project that sort of considers that for the lo- in terms of like long-term um, scenarios in which the occupants of said home would start to increase in numbers?
2: Definitely. That's actually um, the main technical focus of our design is creating homes that are adaptable to growing family needs. So currently, if you look at traditional construction and traditional assembly, um, homes are built and they're not very easily expandable. If you build a one-bedroom home, you can't just... Take a wall down and put up a new bedroom. You'll need to expand the foundation and you'll need to, you know, expand the roof, and it's a lot of additional costs. Um, whereas, what Pulse Home is trying to do is build uh, panelized uh, modular homes with panelized wall panels as well as expandable roofing and expandable foundation that will allow these home units to be easily expanded from one bedroom to five bedrooms to meet the needs of these youth. Um, So each home will cost significantly less than traditional homes because you'll be building a one one bedroom home, but additionally because um, the materials that we'll be sourcing and how these panels will be built, they'll be all locally sourced and there will not be a requirement for um, external trades. Uh, to build these homes. So what will happen is communities will um, purchase Pulse Home materials and technology and then hire their own local community members or youth to build the homes. So they can put up a one bedroom home and as the um, family grows and as the youth start to have their own family, they can purchase more panels to expand their home in terms of bedrooms. Um, So that's the entire adaptability factor. And a lot of the, there are no current um, panelized construction models in the market or in the building science and housing industry that allow you to do that. Um, There are panelized models out there, but a lot of these are just panels without um, electricity or plumbing within the panels. So that's another thing that Pulse Home is doing.
3: It would be really easy for a company to come on to a um, to a reserve and have like this kind of idea, but with it to be very low quality. So how do you um, how does Pulse Home differ from that, and how do you guarantee the people who are um, purchasing this that you are going to be different and that you actually have like how do you assure they assure them that you have their best interest in mind?
2: That's a really good question. Um, we have. The entire idea of partnering with the three communities has been so that they are the ones designing these homes with us, not us designing for them. And one thing that a lot of um, our competitors in terms of panelized technology uh, companies in the building science industry lack is that understanding of the user. Um, Coming out of systems design engineering since first year, one thing that's been ingrained in us is designing product for users um, with them, not by yourselves, by the designers. So one thing that's certain that no one else is doing is working with the communities. Um, I mean, additionally, currently speaking, there are no panelist technologies on the market that encompass all the electrical and plumbing connections within the panels. So that on its own is also a very like Pulse Home, something that makes Pulse Home unique. Uh, But I think the partnership with the communities and the continuous um, improvement model in terms of ensuring that um, these panels are easily maintainable, these panels don't require skilled trades to be built, these panels are recyclable and sustainable, and these homes come with like a sustainable financial model is something that Pulse Home is focusing on. And that's the need for that is coming with from the communities. And I think that's what makes us unique and different.
1: A key component of your project is to include the people with the, the development of the project. But are you responsible for also educating um, the people on how to maintain the projects and repair the projects?
2: Yes, definitely. Um, so skill, trades, training, as well as maintainability, as well as implementation is all part of Pulse Home, um, which is why it's a social venture. It's not just um, a design project, or it's not just us designing homes and then passing it on. It's the entire implementation and the entire model of like how these homes are actually going to be used over time and maintainability that go into um, that are services that Pulse Home would be providing, uh, but one thing that is not something that's under our umbrella is the employment built, uh, the employment part. So we we do have an employment model. Every time we sell a Pulse Home um, to one of the communities, they will hire. They will be the ones hiring their own community members and youth to build the homes. Um, the actual employment is not something that Pulse Home will be doing.
0: I have a follow-up question on the actual finances and the transactions that occur. So based on what you currently have, how much does it cost to actually build a Pulse Home? And how much would it cost somebody to purchase a Pulse Home?
2: So that's a really good question. And I cannot guarantee or give you clear answers right now, just because of how early, um, how, Early we are in our technical development. Uh, We're only in phase one and there's three main phases. So currently we're working on the wall assembly part of it. And in the next phase we'll be working on foundation and the following phase would be roofing. But rough estimate, um, currently it costs, um, and these numbers are coming from the communities themselves. They mentioned that it costs around $200,000 to build a average size bungalow on the reserves. And what we're proposing is to try to keep the cost of each Pulse home under $80,000. So we'll be selling it for $80,000. And then the rest of the money from the community, uh, they can choose to hire their own. They will be hiring their own youth and community members to build the home. So at the end of the day, each Pulse home will still cost them roughly half of what a current uh, traditional assembly home would cost them. In terms of Pulse Homes maintainability um, and our own profit, we would also be profiting anywhere between forty to $50,000 on each home, and that money will go towards um, sustaining us as a company. So it's definitely a social venture and not a nonprofit or an NGO.
0: Thanks for answering that. Are there any other questions?
2: Um, are you planning to um,
3: extend this outside of Atlantic Canada? And what would that look like if you were
2: able to? That's a really good question. Um, so currently the team is actually competing in the HALT Prize, which is the world's largest social enter social entrepreneurship competition. And we won the Waterloo finals so on campus um, at the end of uh, 2018 and now we're proceeding on to the regionals in one of one of the 27 countries Um, we've chosen to go to melbourne australia Um, and we picked this location for multiple reasons one of them being um, the project relevance so australia also has a huge indigenous population and they also have a lot of indigenous communities and a lot of the research that we used um back in our initial user research and needs assessment phase actually came from Australian Indigenous um, studies, not Canadian studies. There definitely are less um, studies done in Canada. So there definitely is a potential for not just expanding in the Canadian market, but also on a global scale in, let's say, Australia and other um, countries that have Indigenous populations and face the Indigenous housing Um, crisis. But one thing is very, very, um, one thing that we're very certain about is making sure that we're working with a couple of communities first um, to make sure that their needs are met, because we realize that anytime we're going to expand, whether that's geographically or Just in numbers, in scaling the solution up, even in the same region, it's going to require modifying our design. It's going to require um, a lot more workforce. And because we're in the early stages where we haven't even completed our technology and piloted it, we're not planning on expanding for another three to four years. Um, Current goal is that we'll be piloting one of our homes in 2021 um, in one of the three communities that we've partnered with. And after the success of that home and after fine tuning the technology more is when we'll hopefully look towards other areas as well.
0: That's awesome. For any of our listeners that may be interested in following the progress of your project, is there a best way to keep up with your developments, whether that's online or in the media, anything at all?
2: Um, you currently, we do not have any Pulse home related social media, but that's definitely in the works. Um, I would say follow up with, um, any Iman, Paula, or Sarah, um, while we're still on campus, which is until the end of, uh, April, 2019. Um, and then after that, we'll make sure to send you guys like a link to our website or something. Once we have that up and running. Also follow up the HALT regionals in Australia, which will be on April 12th and 13th. I do believe they're broadcasted live around the world um, to see if we move on. Ideally, hopefully we do, uh, because that will give us $1 million in funding for the project. Um, so that's something we're focusing on a lot these days.
0: That's awesome. Well. You'll be glad to know that the entire Waterloo chapter here will be rooting for you guys as you proceed to this stage in the competition. Um, thank you for taking the time to speak with us. For anybody on, on the listening end who is interested in um, contacting, if, if you may, um, Iman, Paula, or Sarah to learn more about the project, feel free to reach out to the U Waterloo chapter of Engineers Without Borders and we'd be happy to connect you. Or answer any follow-up questions that you may have. Thank you for listening to this very special episode of Ideas Without Borders, and we will see you next time.